We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Before Darren gets rolling here, I need to hop in for just a minute. We got carried away in this episode, as we often do, and missed until the very last minute letting you know something important, so we wanted to share it here up front. June is a big month for us, getting a chance to see many of you. On June 17th, we're going to be at Tendi Fest, and on the 24th, in Vancouver as well as online, at Pete Fry, the Goalie Mindset Guys one-day seminar for goalies, coaches, and parents if you want to come too. Pete, along with a number of pro, NCAA, and major junior goalies, will share all his mindset secrets. He'll give you a chance to practice them in the classroom and in a one-hour on-ice session at the end of the day. It's going to be awesome, and we're giving all InGoal members a bonus discount as well. Pete has early bird pricing that ends June 1, so head over to InGoalMag.com now to learn more and register. Okay, Darren, take it away. InGoal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports Langley, thehockeyshop.com. We got a good one for you today. I would call him a self-made goaltender from parts unknown in the goalie world to parts not really reflected on a lot to where he is now and a whole lot of cool stops in between. Matt Greenfield is going to pop by on the In Goal Radio podcast and our gear segment today is going to deal with the second price point on the Bauer Hyperlite uh, line as we bring in the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison in his vintage studio and Kevin Woodley in his uh, state-of-the-art facility. Very two very different setups for you guys. Yeah, well, look at look at over your left shoulder, over your left shoulder, you've got old leather pads, and over Woody's right shoulder, he only collects the custom-made super carbon elite sticks. Like they're all perfect. I do. You know what? I, this means I have to now put. I have to put up on the wall one of the older ones. I have. I've got a foam core from Dan Cluche. And I've got a, I've actually got a Ryan Miller Wood one signed that needs to go in the backdrop just so you guys don't think I'm too bougie with my my signed no, carbon. Every, everything's car. I am bougie. Okay, all right, we've accepted it. Nothing, yes. nothing signed about those pads over my back shoulder. They're my university gear. Yeah, I was gonna uh, think like like some dinosaur signed them. <laughs> <laughs> There's a T Rex behind that. I, I was gonna, I was gonna make a like a before or after I'm the like, only dinosaur. Like I was gonna make a religious reference. So they were before, but I I didn't want to go there. I'll regret that. No, no, I'm not going there. Uh, you know where I will go? How about like Florida to England with ties to Alexander Ovechkin, the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I, I like I know people hear the name Matt Greenfield and there. Some people might be like, who? And they got to look up the hockey DB. Uh, make sure you stick around for the feature interview today, folks. It's yeah. a good one. Um, really good lessons, too, on on taking advantage of opportunity whether that is practice sessions as the practice goalie in the summer, facing guys like Ovechkin, getting on the ice with guys like Craig Anderson and Roberto Luongo and James Reimer, um, or being a practice goalie for an NHL team during, you know, during a pandemic. Uh, opportunities that led to pro hockey for Matt Greenfield. He's even got a drill named after him by Robbie Tallis, who's headed to the Stanley Cup final with the Florida Panthers. And I swear... The fact the Panthers are in the cup final and Matt Greenfield is from Parkland, Florida, and our guest this week is a total coincidence. We've been working on sort of back and forth over the last couple months to get him on. I'm glad we finally did. The timing does work out nicely, but this isn't us trying to exploit the Panthers being in the cup final. It really is just, as you'll hear in the interview, there are a whole bunch of perfect coincidences um, and just relationships that we both have, right down to where he played in the BCHL. 
being where we were on the ice with Robbie Tallis by, again, coincidence, like seven or eight years later when we did those videos, including the Matt Greenfield drill. So lots of fun stuff in this one. Make sure you stick around for it. I just love the fact that uh, that he got into it as a weird, goofy, traditional way because his neighbor played street hockey. So he wanted to go out there and do that. And then it spawned this entire journey, which included uh, uh, Canadian University. Uh, awesome stuff with Matt Greenfield. And uh, we have to get, uh, at some point, a little ding, a counter from Hutch on the amount of times, every time Rob Tallis's name comes up. Like, ding, ding. Because it's it's uh, numerous, right? It would be Darren. I wish you told me that maybe an hour ago, but I've now listened to the entire interview to edit it. And as much as it was a great interview, I'm not going back to do another <laughs> <laughs> another stretch. Maybe at the end, if we we could just do a bunch of dings and claim I counted. Maybe it. because you're too busy. That Woody's a bit of a ding. He isn't is. So oh, ring a ding ding in the uh, and it just keeps on uh, just coming well, through like well, it never stops we, it's it's perpetual that's how, that's how we met like that's how we met i was down there to do some work with luongo and talis and matt was the practice ding. goalie so yeah. and hey listen if we're gonna ding robbie talis right now let's ding the fact that we have a whole bunch of dr- like congratulations to him they're in the cup final we have a whole bunch of drills from our time on it we learned a ton when he was up in Kelowna with us at the where are those drills net 360 you? camp and they're all online at ingoalmag.com lots of great ah. tips to get you better um get yourself a, a premium subscription to ingoalmag.com and you can read about all those drills including the Matt Greenfield drill which is got a great story unto itself Hutch doesn't have time to go back uh, through the interview because uh, you're too busy watching all this action that's taking place between the tournaments uh, the stanley cup playoffs the world championships the memorial cup uh continue on like it, it is an awesome time of the year to dive into and learn about different goaltenders isn't it though best goaltending in the world going on right now obviously the stanley cup playoffs i know everybody's watching that you woody have a a great eye on it i've had a bit of an eye on the world championship as have you guys and we're down to now, as we're recording this, we're down to the last three teams. I mean, Latvia still gets to play for a bronze medal. We're going to see either Latvia or Germany guaranteed a medal here. Like, what a what an awesome what an awesome uh, championship we're watching. Uh, Samuel Montembeau having a, a good tournament for Canada. Somebody I'm watching particularly closely. Haven't watched a lot of Memorial Cup, Darren, because there's only been one game. But did watch that last night as uh, Kamloops and Quebec faced off in the opening game of the tournament. And we got three great, uh, four great uh, young starters going head to head in that tournament. I'll be watching a lot of it, and we'll—it's always fun to see the young guys. I know Darren, you know junior hockey way better than I do from all your years. But isn't it fun just seeing these guys perform at this young age and then watch them develop over their careers? Uh, you get to know them a little bit, and then get to follow where they go. And I'm looking forward to doing that. Whether it's uh, you know last night Dylan Ernst and uh, William Rousseau facing off each other, and then we'll see Thomas Millich and Michael Simpson with Seattle and Peterborough tonight, and uh, it's going to be a good time. I wonder if we'll see multiple goaltenders start in the Memorial Cup the way we've seen games handled in the National Hockey League and the Stanley Cup playoffs with different rotations. Uh, Woody, uh, probably not in the Mem Cup just because it's a short tournament and and you're probably riding your number one. But it has been fun to watch some of the evolving mindsets in the in the Stanley Cup final, right? Like. Do you think that many years ago, as well as even two years ago, as well as Freddie Anderson was playing, even after a five overtime game, we would have seen a switch to Auntie Ranta? You did. Well, I mean, I 
You called it. I did, but like I don't, I, I, I don't think it's a surprise. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like, but a couple of years ago, it would have been a shocker because yeah, I think we're still a ways away from you know truly thinking this through on a on a sort of realistic level. And I'd point to Linus Allmark, you know, on the fact that he hadn't started that many games at all during the regular season, but then we just expect him to do it in the playoffs. I'd look at Jake Ottinger. I don't think he's, without looking it up, I'm willing to bet he's never started this many games in this period of time as he has in the playoffs, right? And we just expect something they've never done before to to be something they can do in the playoffs because you're the guy. And I think sometimes, just think about what I just said. Like, that's a little archaic to to just expect it. Like, hey, you've hmm. never done this before. You've never started this many games in this period of time. But under the most pressure, the brightest spotlight, and this gets missed, the warmest rinks you've ever played in, we expect you to do it now. I like it seems silly, and yet that's just always the way it's done. And I think more and more teams are maybe starting to rethink that, uh, at least to some degree. We're going going to get a first time Stanley Cup champion goaltender for the second straight year too. Unless, Master. unless careful there, <laughs> careful, because we've seen stranger things happen. You got well, okay, a guy. On, yes, you, yes. Got a, you got a guy on the bench right, there in quick, Vegas John with two quick, cups. Uh, is the is the backup? You're 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 right about that. Yeah. And there is the possibility the way that things have uh, had, things have, have gone a little crazy. Thanks, thanks for keeping me honest on that. That's uh, that's really good. I hadn't uh, thought of that. Was quick, of all the starters that are currently going, they would be first time champions. Uh, but that is a very solid catch by you, Woody. I don't, hey, much like when I play goal, I don't catch much, so I'm proud that I got that. And Hutch, and he's not very quick. I like Hutch, that's two in a row with the quick, like, puns. This is excellent. Um, Listen, hey, and like, I'll ask ask you a question here. If Sergei Bobrovsky wins the Stanley Cup, as much as we probably shouldn't be projecting ahead, but hey, that's what the media does. Is he a Hall of Famer? Two Veznas in a cup, 360 wins and counting, climbing that list as well. Is Sergei Bobrovsky a Hall of Famer? Because I don't think up until this cup run, the way things have gone in Florida, that many people would have even asked that question. But you had a cup. I don't even think it's a question now. It's automatic? I, I kind of think so. As I was saying to you before, I, I think maybe some people discounted the two Veznas, the first of the two, because it was in a shortened season. And I'm not saying I did, but I, I just think people didn't see it on the same level. But now adding to this, it it seems almost unquestionable with the the career wins. What is it over three fifty? Three sixty. And uh, yeah, three sixty. There you go. And uh, I I don't see how it can even be a question. Yeah, I mean four twenty. So like he's basically three. Oh, math is not my strong suit. Like th- he's basically three twenty one win seasons, which is obviously more than doable. Three twenty-one win seasons away from moving into the top ten all time ahead of Tony Esposito. Like to me, that's I would normally say that's a no-brainer. But there's a guy there at four hundred and fifty-four, and Curtis Joseph, who's still not in the Hall of Fame. So uh, stranger things have happened. Except no Vesna and no Cup for Curtis Joseph, exactly. And that's why I think so, when you add those things together, it's it, do again, you not need one or the other? Probably, or or in Roberto Luongo's case. Uh, multiple gold medals, including one as a starter, right? Because Roberto was on that list and was a first ballot Hall of Famer, a no-brainer, obviously, in our eyes as well. But he had no cup in Novesna. So um, I'm with you. Like, when you look at it now and look back and look at the totality of his work, I think it probably is a no-brainer that Sergei Bobrovsky gets into the Hall of Fame. But and, And not to mention, who's the guy that started the run on Russian goaltending? Who's the guy that inspired the next generation of Russian goaltenders? 
Well, okay, now we're getting into a broader discussion. But come on, give me give me one day. You gave me one. Give me two today. Um, Speaking of vintage, but yeah. honestly, like uh, I I, I think it's a no brainer, and I'm not sure anybody. You know, again, like we look for storylines while we're waiting for the Cup Finals to start. Um, you know, I'm not sure anyone was having this conversation prior to this run. Abby Bulan. That's another going. good one. Yeah, Mickey's up there for sure. <laughs> if you're mulling over hall of fame worthiness what's more valuable to a goaltender stanley cup or a vesna because the vesna i would argue is more impactful than any other position uh than than a heart trophy than an art ross forwards or a norris in uh, on defenseman that vesna for best goaltender seems to me carries more weight than those other trophies well, minus uh, minus Stanley Cup. So, uh, Vesna, a guy's won a Vesna, and he's got four hundred wins. He's got a Stanley Cup with four hundred wins. Which guy do you put in first? Well, it's a good question because I'm looking at the list, and Chris Osgood has four hundred wins and how many Stanley Cups, and he's not in. Yeah, there's a guy. Yeah, there's, there's a guy. I think he should it, be. I'd also. I and he was he was 100%. minutes away from a Conn Smythe, which would have locked it, but he didn't get it. Uh, so what, what is, what carries more weight, the Vesna with 400 wins or the Stanley cup with 400 wins? Oh man. Talk about putting us on the spot. Mark Andre Fleury's going to only have cups and he's, no, he's got in. a Vesna. He's got, he got one of Vesna a couple of years ago. Uh, oh, of his, course, his that's last right. year in, in Vegas. So there, I forgot about, I, and shame on me for forgetting about that. So any Brownie bonus points I got earlier are automatically deducted. So yeah, that's a slam. That's dunk. just karma, baby. There have to be examples in both directions, right? Probably are guys who've won. There's there's Vesnas that aren't in the but hall. But I'm just asking, you, where's it's your probably, importance probably, on the cups it, or the Vesna? It's probably a Vesna because the Vesna is more is seen as more individual yes. than a cup. Yeah, especially like now, like now we're looking at cups where like. Is that ironic because they vote on the Vesna so much by wins? And what's the Stanley Cup about? Wait, yeah, I know. Above I know. All? I, it's why I said it it's it has the appearance of being more of an individual. That's one answer. Award. Like he's he's, he's trying to distract us. Vesna voting is is done based on the team and the, whether it's yeah. wins or defensive structure in front of you, that's that's what gets you Vesnas, but it's seen as more of an individual talent thing. Like multiple Vesnas probably get you in the Hall of Fame ahead of Chris Oswood, for example, multiple cups. So Bob should already be in the Hall of Fame, like on that track. Two, Vez- yeah. Hutch talked about the first Vezina, but two Vesnas and four hundred wins. Yeah, it should probably Look, do. Eric it. Eric Lindros won a Hart Trophy in a shortened season. I don't hold that against him. So I don't hold a a Vesna. No, I'm just saying I th- I think some people do. I'm not holding it against him either. And there's also the old recency bias, right? I mean, before these playoffs, he's he struggled in Florida, and I think a yeah. lot of people might have forgotten the Vesnas and then seen the struggles. And now this is making everybody forget. You never it. did answer, by uh, the way. I didn't. Nope. No, I waffled hard on that one. Seriously, ego. I need to do some research. No, you don't. <laughs> Tell me right now. Your 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 eye test. What would you put more stock in? A guy with 400 wins and a Stanley Cup, a guy with 400 wins and a Vesna. Not even giving you names. Just say what he's right. Just say what <laughs> just say what he's right and go with a Vesna. It's the easiest uh, way Vesna. out. Yeah, I, I, I'm Vesna. Vesna. Woody's Vesna. That sounds like a, a research project than an article, Woody. I think we got to do a little looking into how many how many people are in each of those clubs and in and not in. I, and I think Osgood should be in. I agree. 
I think we're, Cujo, we're a goalie show. We think they all should yeah, be. Cujo should be. Cujo's got the most losses, too, of all time. Uh, I wonder if that uh, works against him at all. But he he you could make a case that he should have won a Vesna, uh, the one year that Olaf Kolzig, Oli, sorry, uh, don't get back. I hope that doesn't get back to you. Uh, but you can make a case that he should have won the Vesna that year or could have won the Vesna that year. It was a finalist, but anyway. Hey, uh, hey, listen, uh, we got to We got to We got to take one off of Cujo's not, label there, Darren. You're not quite right. I got to correct you. You're not quite right. The it's the Broder. goalie with the most losses in NHL history is also the one with the most wins. Martin, oh, really? Martin Bradour, three, yeah, three I've been saying that many yeah. times too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Little, you know, and number two is Roberto Luongo. This is fact-checking uh, 101 uh, today. Uh, Nora Ratu. <laughs> well, if we don't, somebody else is. Nora Ratu is, uh, is in the news right now. Uh, great, uh, great addition to the uh, PHF. Premier Hockey Federation. Yeah, we had uh, the, the champions from the Toronto Six on uh, recently. It's about a month ago. Um, Carly Jackson uh, and, and Elaine Chuli. Um, and yeah, like that's just, hey, listen, more elite goaltending uh, on a stage where we can see it more readily more often is a good thing for me. I won't get into the politics if there are any between the two leagues because I don't understand them. I'm not going to pre- not going to pretend to have knowledge of that situation. But the chance to see Nora play more, um, you know, obviously a TV deal in place for that league for the PHF. Like this is good. This is a good thing, um, regardless. And so wherever things end up in the women's game. I just, I'm happy at, at the chance to see her play more uh, in North America, not having to wait for Olympics. And, and as we saw the last time, um, you know, sounds like maybe some politics or personal preferences on the Finnish national team kept her from the Olympics. Uh, we were robbed of that. At least we now get to see her play pro hockey in North America. And I am excited for that because she's one of the all time greats. You say you weren't sure about the politics, or if there was politics. Oh no, I just between I don't the know the leagues? whole story. But oh no, between the <laughs> two oh between the two the, leagues, the yeah, no, no, yeah. I know that I know there's a whole bunch of stuff. I just don't have an accurate, so I don't say nothing. I say everything. We're we've been wrong like fifty times today, so we're just keep we're, going. Yeah, yeah, we're we just double triple down uh, on on this whole whole thing. Um, I was going to double back uh, to Sergei Bobrovsky about something, but I'm going to put that one to, to bed. We've got our feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena with Matt Greenfield coming up. Uh, cool story. And check out, Google him uh, with images. Uh, I love their kit uh, in Sheffield. It's a really cool setup uh, with their with their colors and, and the way it goes with the orange. Uh, awesome stuff. Uh, but our gear segment brought to you by The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source of sports Langley, dealing with, uh, with Bauer this week. Yeah, no, we're going to double down on Bauer after last week with the Hyperlite 2, a Hype Tour Light, as they put that 2 in a weird spot for me. Um, second really? price point. I didn't know that they did that. Well, just on the pad, and it was my only, it was the only thing I didn't like about it. Don't get me into you weren't You weren't here last week, Darren. Yeah. I got on a rant on this. Like, I love everything about the line, except where they put the 2 in the Hyper 2 Light, Hype Tour Light. It sounds like a golf thing. Anyways, X5 Pro is the second price point. We've talked a lot about second price points in real in in, in recent years because the reality is not everyone can afford and not everyone needs, you know, a two thousand dollar plus set of pads at the pro price point, the top end, uh, and it really is remarkable how much we've seen an improvement in that second price point. The X5 Pro brings a lot of those high end features, basically everything except 
that uh, Cortex sort of skin is on this pad. It, it really is remarkable. We've had a lot of success with testers using it for multiple years and having it you know, still hold up, especially the pads. So it's a, it's a line that we got a lot of questions about. As soon as we launched Hyperlight 2 video on YouTube, like I don't say half the questions, but a bunch of the questions below are, when are you doing X5 Pro? Well, here's your answer. We're doing it this week. And we caught up with Cam to talk about all the features that set it apart and make it such a great option uh, for goalies of all ages. I think this is going to be a real popular beer league pad as well as uh, for, for youth coming up through minor hockey. The Bauer X5 Pro. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports. Last week, we rolled out the Bauer Hyperlite. Hyperlite 2. Also incorrectly named Hyperlite because they put the two in the middle. But It's still Hyperlite 2, no? It's Hyperlite. It's Hyperlite 2. So as excited as we were, and you all may remember I got a little giddy when we were talking about the Hyperlite 2, I may be even more excited for the second price point. We have had Bauer second price point products out with testers playing major midget, major bantam, all kinds of different levels. And the durability, the performance of these pads is exceptional, especially when you consider the price. And it looks on the surface like they've continued that with the new line, the X5 Pro. This is the derivative of the Hyperlite 2. So Cam, let's get into it. Um, we'll go through the features that are the same as the Hyperlite 2. Obviously, at a lower price point, you're getting a little less. We'll walk you through some of the parts you don't get, what you do get, what makes it great, what you're sacrificing. Cam, let's start with the pads. Well, I mean, main focus of the pads being first is, like, first of all, the look and the actual profile of the pad itself. So we're still getting that same slim down profile that we saw in the Hyperlite 2, continuing off of that 3X pad as in terms of those upgrades. Um, this is just visually a really nice looking pad. Like it's just, it looks like that pro pad dropped down, which is why they kept that pro nomenclature actually in the pad itself. Okay. So it looks are great, but I'm about performance. I am a function, not fashion guy. And so the first thing that jumps out to me, and this isn't the first time they've done this, but they've continued the Stabila Flex knee into the second price point. You it's not like you just get this feature at the highest price point. And I think that's a significant call out. Correct. And also one thing that those Eagle Eye viewers might have missed in our actual Hyperlite 2 review is that we didn't talk about the new grip knee that's also been brought down to the... Uh, a little bit, yeah, a little bit of a tackiness to the field to help you sort of not slide off the block. That's correct. Especially with those bigger knee pads nowadays and the integration of those socks, this will help to kind of aid you, keep you planted inside of that, uh, that knee cradle. So definitely a great feature. Um, that's also brought down into that X5 Pro. Okay, so we're opening with up the lake channel. Lake channel, like same in there. You still got the Tune Fit 2.0, but you can change this out to the Tune Fit Plus if you would like um, easy optional switch, um, something that is available aftermarket. Uh, we showed you that obviously in the Hyperlite 2 video, so okay. make sure you check that out for more details on how to do it. It's pretty easy. Got it. So what's not the same? Uh, it doesn't have the integrated. The cap plate is not integrated into the face of the pad like nope. the Hyperlite 2, but still. I mean, it's still a nice, stable feel. That's correct. The biggest thing you don't get is you don't get Cortec on the face of the pad. Like That's This correct. is built more like a traditional stitch and or sew and stitch type pad in terms of the face built around the core. So that's one of the biggest. That's things. correct. So you won't get as hot of a rebound off. 
That said, though, these are still going to kick rebounds out uh, decently far for what would be a mid-level pad. Well, and also you do get, is this the same material on the knee? Help me out here, Cam. It is. So that's, again, that's what we talk about, the sliding that Bauer has been known for for multiple generations of pads. That continues down on this lower price point. The other thing that I noticed, like you talked about how thin it was, I actually think there's a little, as much as we're not supposed to flex it this way, there is more flex profile in this pad. I feel like, like at a beer league level, um, I know this pad is more than durable enough for that level of play, but I feel like goalies that want an even, as much as Hyperlite is their softer line, I feel like the X5 Pro might be an even softer pad. So, so wait, 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 let's, let's maybe call out something because you said beer league, right? And you're like, okay, maybe your beer league colors don't necessarily line up with what you've got going on uh, in terms of for the stock available options. Um, so what you have the option for is to order custom with these pads. So I can get custom colors, your name on the pad as well. Definitely a major call out for this. You can talk to me more about this personally, 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. But again, custom colors. Custom colors and your name on a available. second price point pad. That's correct. Wow, okay. Uh, we've talked about performance. You're hung up on the looks. Let's talk about glove and blocker. Yes. Um, first thing I notice on the glove is, you know, that nice material inside, that, that tacky material on the fingers. Correct. Not here in the second price point model. Not here. Not here. Not here. But you still get that great overall closure and feel-wise. Yeah, a little thicker feeling, yep. maybe a little bit, a little more. So a bit of a beef up in terms of the padding, and they also worked on the center rib closure as well in, from the 3X. Um, so that's one of the upgrades moving into that M5. Um, it's a nice closing up. I would say, like, so why would it be thicker? Why would it be beefier, you ask? Because, of course, it doesn't have their new version of the pour-on material. No DTC padding in there. Right. So they need to put more sort of traditional padding in there, which is why it feels a little thicker in the hand. But you're still Correct. getting protected just in a different manner. Correct. So tight-fitting palm. Uh, overall feel-wise, uh, again, very, very similar to what you would see in the, uh, the actual pro uh, blocker as well. Um, great overall profile. Good overall punch. Definitely something to check out. Okay, and the last part, once we have something like the new X5 Pro in stock, that means old gear's on sale? That's correct. So make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com. If you've got any questions about this line, how to customize it, of course, the Hyperlite 2 line, or what's on sale behind me, some of it 20% off as the new stuff comes in, make sure you check out thehockeyshop.com or give him a call. 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. Slow your roll. It's up there. Maybe down below. Who knows? Like and subscribe. Oh, that just gets my heart going for Tendy Fest. Hearing you guys chirp back. I just love it. I'm not just, I'm, I'm giddy about it. Uh, probably not going to make it because uh, of, of things happening in my life right now uh, going on that, that look like they're, they're going to extend. Fingers crossed. But uh, on the uh, on the second price point, can you get all the custom graphics, everything done the same, or is it? No, there is customization, like yeah. and and you get your name yeah, on, get your name on, um, which is you know, and there's different color patterns offered. I don't believe that, like, you can't get like the full like um, you know, like design your own any picture you want type okay. of treatment on those pads because that's good that, to know. I, I, yeah. that, uh, that was my curious uh, question. Yeah, the the other one that's come up is people asking if they can get that new Vapor 90 glove. Unfortunately, that's a custom can't. order. Yeah.
Well, it's not. A, it's a custom order, but it has to be yeah. in a pro line, not. Yeah, in and this, if, I, not in the I would say too, the one thing I would say, like, it's interesting. I think there are going to be beer leaguers that like this pad because of the flexibility. It's got a lot of flex, and it's a. It's got a. You know, it's not as stiff as the as the Cortec on the other pad. I mean, you could if you wanted. If you really like the pad, you like the price point. You could save money on the pad, and you can order gloves and blockers custom. You don't have to order a whole set. You. And I would say that, you know, that that's the other part of this is that without diminishing the quality of the X5 Pro glove, to me, that's one of the biggest differences. Like if and especially we talk about durability, like the pads that we've had in the past have really held up. Um, If you're playing at a level that requires more protection in the glove, that's where you might spend the extra money out of the whole line. Uh, Pads, blocker, second price point. If you're bucking up or you're seeing shots at a certain velocity, the glove being a pro glove and giving you the option to order a Mach 90 might be the one piece that you could sort of mix and match and and, and blend that way with the X5 Pro line. Like if you needed to step up in one area, the glove would be the one I would choose. I think we get too locked into matching sets. Well, but if you order, but if you order the glove, you could have the graphic set made to match. Right. So it works, even though it's not the same it's mm-hmm. the same looks the same and, yeah. and st- stuff is reskinned all the time uh half the people have no idea what they're looking at because it's reskinned a, a certain way right yeah hey it's presents that way hey you, we, we we mentioned his oh, name gosh. earlier you got jonathan quick on the bench wearing something that i think is is labeled von v10 and and there are parts of that pad that probably go back to like von v2 so um you know and i, I don't know exactly but uh, yeah, for sure. At the National Hockey League level, you see that a lot, a lot. So, uh, hey, by the way, for those who have been asking for the Vaughn V10 review, now that we've gotten through the X5, uh, I believe it's up next. Uh, don't get Tim mad at us that we haven't done it yet. We hadn't done it yet because it wasn't at the hockey shop. Now it is. We've done it. And it'll be up ne- with next week's episode, the Vaughn V10 full review. You think Quickie's going back all the way to the V2? Some aspects of that pad, the last time I checked, there were elements of that pad that dated back to V2, yes. Wow. I'm going to ask him that. Yeah, I guarantee he doesn't know. You should. Really? I guarantee. I mean, he knows what it is. I guarantee he doesn't know what generation it's from. Oh, what okay. a v, yeah, yeah. What a V2, a V4, a V8, or a V10 is. I know what a V8 you know, is. Yeah, so do I. I should have um, had one earlier when before I made all those mistakes. I was thinking maybe cars, but yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, we've got our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. Uh, before we uh, bring in uh, Matt, uh, tell us what's happening over at Sensorina. Woody. Sensorina with Hutch, not Woody. Hutch. Uh, Sorry. Just ding another mistake. We got a whole yeah. long line of them today. Uh, um, great time to get into Sensorina, guys. They've got a sale on now so that you can save, I think it's up to 40% if you. Uh, Go with the annual deal. So it's an awesome time to get into it. Virtual reality is sort of growing and growing and growing in terms of its influence in the tech world today. And it's been with Sense Arena now for a while. We've been fortunate to be working with them for a couple of years now and can really say that the training inside Sense Arena is a game changer. It's a game changer. It was the day they brought it out and they just make more and more and more improvements guys month in and month out and now it's uh it's it's absolute best it's an incredible training tool cuz you can get out there and you can face NHL shooters in the virtual training world you can face face PHF shooters 
like Nora Ratu will be doing in Sense Arena as well. You can train all aspects of the game from shots where you can tell the shooters where to shoot and they will hit their spots every time without dinging one off your dome. They will take you through drills, through common scenarios, power plays. They've got training plans built into it with top level coaches. Some of the people that we love to work with can guide you through using the system to help your training. And now is a great time to be using it. It's summer. There's three months until training camp starts, guys. Get out there, put your sense arena on 10, 15, 20 minutes a day. It will all add up to an incredible amount of time on the virtual ice between now and next training camp, and you will be a better goaltender. It's a great tool. It's available now. Head over to sensearena.com, use the magic code IGM50, and you will save even more on top of the great sale they have running now. And you smell better. That is so true. You don't have to do a bunch of laundry after your ice time. Yeah, you smell better. Have you guys seen, Hutch, have you had a chance to check out the new update? Yes where that you can actually tell exactly where the puck hits you you can go back and check like it highlights where the, where the puck yeah. hits in you your glove puck marks now yeah i like it i like that idea that's how you would know woody if you needed to get that improved like the full pro glove or could you go with the second price point because yours would be so many in the palm and you'd be running out to to buy the pro gloves yeah you know what actually i was th- i was thinking about this though um because it goes back to a fascinating discussion we had with mike vaughn so, you know, we were talking about yeah. Vaughn and the V10 coming out and Jonathan Quick and what version he's got of his. But I loved when we were in at the Vaughn plant. This is, God, this is, is this a decade ago, Hutch? It might be more. Oh, it's got to be. And yep. just and to, it was very early days. Explaining how the different breaks in the glove place the pocket in a different position relative to your hand. And if you found you were getting pucks that were hitting, you know, the glove in a certain spot, maybe you needed to change so the pocket was in that spot. And just a great sort of walk through and thought process of how the different breaks, we, we think about how they close on our hand, but there's also where they put the pocket relative to your hand and how you catch pucks and where you're missing. Maybe a change could help you. And so as I'm watching this, where the puck hit your glove, you can trace it in Sensorina. It made me think about like, if you are missing in a certain spot all the time, are you maybe not wearing the right break glove? Assuming you're bringing your glove that you use into your Sensorina training and why wouldn't you? You know, if I'm missing a whole bunch, why am I not getting it? Why am I getting all these palm stingers? Like, like I think there's an actual value here. You could actually translate it into, geez, maybe I do need to think about a, a, a glove with a different pocket location or a different break. I am a little over the top geeking out here right now. No, I'm just, I'm just waiting, right? For, forget the warm-up stick, Darren. Woody's going to be out there scouting every beer league team he plays. And he's going to say, oh, we're playing the Steelers today. They tend to shoot a little bit more high glove. I'm switching to the 580 break <laughs> mm. for this game. And then he pre-scouts the the Whalers and they go low glove. So he switches down to the 600. Like I just. It's beer I, league, I, dude. I'm, they all hit you in the head. <laughs> True. I, I would, with the risk of siding with Woody on the whole warm up stick. <laughs> I'm, oh, I've already sided with him. I might go with the warm up glove. With the with the practice palm in it, because there's nothing yeah. worse than taking a stinger in the palm in warm up and then having to go through wow. the rest of a, a game or uh, you start a practice and you got to go through a whole practice with the, with your just hand throbbing. It's that that stings. So I might go with the practice warm up glove instead of the stick. Uh, you know what this reminds me of, Darren? 
we need to get you into a set of Axis 2 or the new E-Flex with the 581 or 591 glove because you're still in the original sort of with the two popsicle yeah. stick, the original CCM yeah. design that permits those stingers. And I certainly haven't experienced them in the new where the brake just has well, so that's... much less of a gap. So time for us to upgrade you, my friend. Let's I... get rid of those. Let's get rid of those stingers. I know. And with such big changes in the technology now, I think people need to come to Tendy Fest to check out yes. those gloves and see what a difference they can make, yeah. right? Because everybody gets online and they hop in the comments and everybody cheers for their favorite brand or whatever. But really, until you see it and you try it, you'll never know. So come try it at Tendy Fest. And while you're at it, pretty good chance we're going to have a couple of uh, Sensorina sets there with us at Tendy Fest as well. If you want to come and give them a try, come visit us there. That's awesome. Remember, like four years ago, we couldn't even go outside. Now we've got censoring a headsets there for you to try it this is this is awesome well our feature interview uh, with matt greenfield uh just give us a, a bit of a, a primer before you throw to it well i feel like i teased this prematurely early in the show because i want to make sure people stuck around um you know this is this is a guy who started playing hockey in, in as you're going to hear in florida uh grew up in florida got into the game met before he was the panthers goalie coach started working with robbie tallis ding and they built a great relationship. Used that relationship with Robbie Tallis Ding. to get an opportunity to be out there for summer skates. He was coaching as a goalie coach in the summer schools for Robbie Tallis. Ding ding. Okay, now we're having a. Little, it's getting a little carried away. Uh, but anyways, just just a great a great story of a guy who comes from maybe an area where we wouldn't think about hockey. You know, developing goaltenders. I've got a chance to be exposed to some greats on the ice. Like I said, the first time I met him was at a summer skate. He was out there, ironically, was at the University of Calgary already at the time, but he's back home for the summers and he's out there in a summer skate and I'm coming off the ice and he's coming on. And who else is coming on? Some guy named Ovechkin. So um, had a chance to sort of meet him there and we've kept in touch a little bit here and there. And now he's playing pro hockey and it just felt like a great time to catch up. So enjoy the interview, folks. I enjoyed doing it. Matt's a great guy with lots of great insights that I think people will benefit from. Really excited to welcome to the program Matt Greenfield, who is playing over in England right now, but has his roots in Florida, has ties to Robbie Tallis. And I swear this is actually just a coincidence because Matt and I talked about getting together and having him on the podcast. Oh, geez, a while ago, long before the Panthers went on this playoff run. But now we finally reconvene and Tally's headed to the Stanley Cup final. I first met you on the ice in Florida after being on the ice with with Tallis and Roberto Luongo, who's also on his way to the cup final. And you were just out there in a casual skate facing one tease from some guy named Alexander Ovechkin. So there's a whole bunch of your background. I think we got to introduce people to, but just first off, thanks for joining me. Uh, how are things? You're in Calgary now. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm really excited to uh, be here. Yeah, we're in uh, Calgary now. I went to school here. My wife's from here, and um, so this is uh, this is now home. Okay, so for those that do, for those that don't know, originally from Florida. Yeah. Let's start there. Let's just let's just start there. How'd you become a goalie? Where'd the relationship with Robbie Tallis develop? And just walk us through how, you know, what, what attracted you to the position and how you developed it in the early years. Yeah. So early on, I, so growing up in Florida, there's not a ton of hockey. My neighbor was from London, Ontario, and he had a kid that was, I don't know, four or five years older than me. So I was like 
six or seven, he was like 10 or 11 and they would always play hockey in the driveway. And I always want to just hang out with them because, you know, any kid four or five years older than you is the cool kid. And I wasn't good enough to play with them, but they were always like, oh, you could, we need a goalie. Take this baseball mitt and go stand in that. And um, that's what started it. So then that was kind of the beginning of the end, as my parents like to say. And <laughs> kind of uh, just fell in love with the position right away. And was just always begging my parents to play roller goalie, then transition to ice. And around that time, that's when Rob had just finished his playing career and moved to Florida to um, start his coaching career. And my mom just signed me up for a lesson with him one day. And the rest is kind of history. It's actually... Funny story. I don't know if you know how Rob ended up in Florida. Actually, I actually don't. So when he was finished playing, I think he didn't know where he wanted to live. And I think the story goes, he uh, closed his eyes, blindfolded himself and threw a dart at the uh, map of the U.S. And he said it landed somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. And Florida was the closest spot. So him and his wife decided to uh, move down to Florida. Yeah. It's, I, I- Working out for everyone, eh? Yeah, it worked out for the best for sure. I mean, I couldn't be more grateful. I was so beyond fortunate to have the relationship I have with him and especially to meet him at such a young age and at a time in his career where he was kind of in between things and really had the time to work with uh, just private clients. Well, I know he's a massive fan of yours. As a matter of fact, we have a drill at ingoalmag.com called the the Greenfield Drill that, that he explained to us at a Net360 camp one year based on you being the demo goalie for a drill he developed out of a play, I think, that cost him a goal against the Washington Capitals. So we'll get into that a little bit later. It's funny, I just came from playing at a rink in South Surrey here where Tally played in the BCHL. And as we're leaving, there's actually a picture of him on the wall. So everything's coming full circle with this oh, interview. Oh, no way. No way. I got to go see that. So how off to send you a picture? How, how old were you as you started? Like you're, you said, you're just, you're out there playing, you know, with your neighbors in the driveway. You're playing roller hockey. You're playing ice. Now you meet Tally and you start probably to learn some things that you hadn't learned before. What age are we talking here was it when things start to get maybe a little more, I don't know if they were serious. You can tell me, but a little more structured. I would say probably started working with him when I was 11, if I had to put a pretty year on it. And I don't know, I was always pretty serious. Like I always kind of wanted to play the highest level I can. And since from a young age, Rob was always very much like a believer and just at people. I was like, you can kind of do whatever you set your mind to. Like you want to play in the NHL, you can play in the NHL. This is what it's going to take. So that was kind of the way our relationship started at a young age and that yeah, so it, it kind of, when I met him, he was kind of ready to be serious. And I was like, tell me how high to jump and I'll jump. Like, tell me what to do and I'll do it. So it it, it was a real good uh, relationship and the way it formed was very natural in that way. What do you remember? I mean, I mean, you know, not everyone's going to be familiar with ga- your game. So maybe walk us through, you know, you're playing overseas in England right now, played in the ECHL last couple of years before that, just signed a contract extension to go back to Sheffield in England. Where your game is now, how would you describe it and how it's evolved over time? I, I'm guessing with a lot of influence from Tally, as much as you've moved on and gone yeah. to other places, like, as you said, the University of Calgary for four years. Yeah. Um, you know, how's your game transformed from those early, early years to now and how would you describe it now? It's definitely transformed. I think the biggest thing with Tally and most guys that'll work with him, I would imagine would attest to this, is he's so good mentally. And it's 
the just the habits and the way you think and the way you approach the game is so drilled in from him. And that's kind of, I think, the foundation of my game and everything else kind of stems out from that. So to go back to your question as far as how I play, I play more of a, I like to have a foundation and then kind of freelance from that. So I got kind of a foundation of this is, you know, I want to be big. I want to be set. I want to have my hands in proper spots. And then I want to just trust my instincts and trust my athleticism, my reflexes and kind of uh, try to paint, but paint within the lines, if that makes sense. It does. It does make sense. Um, when you talk about uh, the mental aspect and the, can you give us an example? I mean, everybody listening is a goalie. So is there, whether it's situational or just a mindset you have going into every game, are there any any takeaways that you could share that another young kid listening will be like, hey, that would really help me? I think it's just a quiet confidence. It's knowing that you've put in the work and you're prepared. And if you work as hard as you can, you know you're prepared, you'll be able to go and have success. And it's about knowing that whatever you're feeling, there's a very high probability, almost 100% certainty that the guy 200 feet away is feeling the same thing. And that everyone's kind of... Not in it together, but everyone's feeling the same stuff, feeling similar stuff. And, you know, just finding that confidence, that inner belief, and that it's really a choice. Like, I wasn't a very confident kid growing up. And I think that's something that Tally really instilled in me. And the way he made us work, like, I just remember all of the runs to the, we had had a pool that was like a mile and a half away from uh, the rink in the gym. And we'd always have to run to the pool and run back. And he would always be in his car, like, yelling at us. And, but at the end of the day, it was all like, you do that, it's competition-based and everything's kind of high-paced competing. And yeah, just having that confidence that whatever it is, you'll get through it and you know you're going to be okay. And he drills that in you through the way that, through how hard you work and, you know, like just being able to like, having that belief. Like there was one day I was struggling with my stick saves. I must've been 15 years old at the time. And uh, I couldn't, no, I was older than that. I was in the OHL, so I would have been like 18. And I couldn't get the puck on my stick and get the puck in the, the mesh. And he uh, had an OHL shooter taking slap shots at me, and he was so frustrated with me. He grabbed my stick, he was in a tracksuit, went down into his butterfly, and he had the OHL shooter taking slap shots at him. And he was getting a stick on him, and everyone just in the mesh. And he's like, he's like, execute, just do it. Like, stop thinking and just do it. And then I got in, and sure enough, everyone I hit just went right into the match. So just, there's just something like that aura and that inner belief that just being around him so much, it just starts to to rub off, you know what I mean? So You mentioned the OHL. You, you played a year in Kitchener uh, in the Go JHL, which I'm guessing is either a junior A or junior B league. My apologies for that. Okay. Yeah. So played a year there and also the same year spent some time with Kitchener and then a second season with the Rangers, that path, that journey from like, especially back then, you know, we're talking about like 2013, 2012 in that time frame. I'm guessing there's not a lot of teams looking for goalies in Parkland, Florida. Maybe at the NH, there's a lot of good goalies that have come through Parkland, (laughs) Florida wearing Panther sweaters, but they're probably not looking for 15 year olds. How did uh, those opportunities present themselves and and what was that process like? Because that can't be easy. You said you weren't going to confident kid. To make a step like that requires some self-belief. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I was uh, really fortunate. So um trying to remember the full connection here. But again, like I owe so much to Tally. Like so much of this comes from him. 
So he obviously, we were working together for years. He thought I was really, obviously, thought I was a good goalie. And he, Pete DeBoer was the coach of the Panthers at the time. Pete DeBoer had, follow me here. So Tyler was the goalie coach of the Panthers. Pete DeBoer is the head coach of the Panthers. Pete DeBoer has two kids. The coach of Pete DeBoer's kids were also the coach of my team at U16. I was playing double A hockey at the time, U16 double A. Yeah. And then Pete DeBoer just left Kitchener, I believe. So Rob told Pete, who told my coach, who then had a scout from Kitchener come and watch us in the national tournament. I had a good national tournament, good enough that they liked me and they, um, Ended up taking a flyer on me in the 12th round. And that's how I kind of got into the the pool or the stream or however you want to call it. And then, yeah, and then from there, it kind of was more performance-based. But yeah, that's kind of how I got the explosion, how I got seen. Okay, so two years there, and then you go to Tri-City for in the USHL. And then my neck of the woods, actually, where we, again, this is a small world full circle thing the West Kelowna Warriors of the BCHL for a year. And the rink they play out of is the rink where we shot the video of the quote unquote Greenfield drill with Tally at a summer yeah. camp with a bunch of NHLers and, and uh, CHLers. So um, that journey, that bouncing around a little bit at that point from the OHL to USHL to BCHL, um, to just walk me through your progression through that and some of the decision-making process and, and, you know, how those different opportunities presented themselves. For sure. So I, like I said, I, I wasn't a confident kid and I really struggled with that in the OHL. I, um, I didn't handle it very well. I didn't play very well. Um, so my 20 year old year, they were kind of like, you know, you can come and maybe back up. But at the time we had just signed a, uh, 18 year old kid that was on an NHL deal. And then I was like, well, I got to play. So I ended up leaving there. Fortunately, Bill McColt, took a chance on me in the USHL. So I went down there to try out for the team, made the team, uh, played, played well. That was kind of where I first started to kind of find my confidence. I was kind of the older guy. It was a whole new chance for me to kind of write a new slate. To, uh, a lot of times, especially growing up and in the OHL, everyone was kind of telling me how to play. And they would tell me, we think you should do this. We think you should do this. And then when I kind of got, uh, I pretty much got released from there. I said, you know what, like, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down doing it how I want to do it. And so that's kind of where I started to kind of play the game that I wanted to play. And with having success with that, then my confidence started to grow a little bit. And so I went down to the USHL, started off real well, played okay. And then uh, I don't, I'm sure you know Jake Kiley. Yeah. Yeah, I do know Jake. I've met Jake when he was with the Canucks and obviously know Billy a little bit from, I've covered the Canucks for 20 years. So he was obviously here as well. Exactly. So Jake Kiley was my goalie partner. And he just, he came, that was kind of his coming out party. He was unbelievable for that team. Like, unbelievable. So he, so Bill calls me into the office one day. He's like, listen, like, I can't have a 20-year-old taking up a roster spot. That's not really playing. So he trades me to the BCHL in West Kelowna, which at the time I didn't know was a thing. I didn't know he could get traded league to league, but. I didn't either. (laughs) (laughs) But then it happened. So I was like, oh, I guess this is a thing. So I reported to West Kelowna. And I mean, just an unbelievable group of guys there. Fortunate enough, got traded to a team that was in, I think we were in third place at the time. And then we just went on an unbelievable run. 
won a national championship and then ended up uh, committing to school out of that. So I was just going to say, I was going to say like 938 in the playoffs. I'm looking at the numbers. Obviously, it's not best of seven all the way. So I'm looking at the win total. I'm like, did you guys go all the way? Like, are those banners when I'm in that rink? You got one of those. Yeah, we got three of them. So we, it was weird. It was like best of seven, first round, best of seven, second round. And then it was some weird playing format in the third round. Because there was three division winners. So it was like a weird playing format where you had to win two games. And then it was best of seven, third round, or fourth round for the finals. And then it was two tournaments after that. So it was, yeah, it was wild. It was a lot of hockey. Epic run. And then, and then University of Calgary. Now, we just a couple of weeks ago had uh, Brendan Burke on, who was at oh, the University yeah. of Alberta. And mm-hmm. one of the stories he talked to us about, like, we were talking about the level of hockey, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, how good Canadian university hockey is because you had a bunch of guys that played in CHL that they're older, they're more mature, and some of the teams they beat from the NCAA. What was your experience like at the University of Calgary, both from a development side, but you're also there to go to school as well? Uh, student athlete life, what was that like for you? It was awesome. I think it was really eye opening. Um, I was very uh, sheltered in the hockey world before that, and I was very much like just. NHL or boss, hockey or boss, and then going to university, it's kind of like, oh, whoa, like there's a whole other world out there that there's lots of real cool opportunities and neat things to do and you meet cool people. So that part of it was really eye-opening and cool. The level of hockey was something I was pretty like, pretty blown away by. Like, like I'm sure you talked about with Berkey, like there's everyone there. Like, I think I went through our whole team. We had one guy that didn't play in the CHL. Like it's, an unbelievable level of hockey. Everyone's just bigger, stronger, faster. It comes with its own challenges though. Cause you got some guys that are on their way up and some guys that are on their way down and know that it's the end. So you end up getting a real interesting kind of mix of guys. But as far as the talent and when puck drops on Friday night, it's, it's fast, it's competitive, it's tough. I think a lot of guys think they're going to come from the CHL and dominate and more times than not, that's not how it goes. So and, and actually, I want to I want to rewind actually because I wanted to get into a little bit about that, but I, I kind of missed one that, a little thread there. I wanted to pull on a little bit. You talked about multiple voices and different coaches as you're bouncing around OHL and 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 uh, into the USHL a little bit, telling you to do it a certain way, and then sort of coming back and doing it your way. And obviously, you'd spent a lot of time with Rob Tallis. You 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 had some faith in how he had taught you. How tough a balance is that for kids? And is there any advice you would pass along? Because you know, you go to a new team and this happens at younger levels too. And a coach is like, Hey, do it this way. I want you to do it this way. And you got to impress the coach. You don't want to tell them, Hey, bugger off. I got my own way, but you also have to sort of stay true to your foundation. How'd you, you know, it sounds like that was a tough line to walk for you in the early years. And is there any lessons you can pass along to others about how to manage it? Yeah, that was really tough. I think that's the main reason why I struggled is I, um, like I said, it was a huge blessing to be so close with Tally for so many years, but it was also a bit of a curse in the sense of, I'm so used to having an NHL goalie coach. I could just pick up the phone and say, call it and say, hey, what do I do in this situation? Or, hey, you know, like, do I RVH, do I VH? Or do I play the puck with one hand on my stick, with two hands on my stick? And then I go to the OHL, I'm like, no, you have to do it this way. I'm like, well, I haven't done it this way my whole life. And then they're like, who's this 18-year-old kid from Florida that's talking back to us now and is uncoachable? and all that sort of stuff. So it's something that I really struggled with. And I think the biggest advice I can get is whether your coach is right or wrong, 
like they're right because they're your coach and you kind of have to do it this way, at least try to do it that way. And then maybe go have a tackle and smart conversation and say, Hey, like I really tried it this way. I feel more comfortable doing it this way, but you only kind of get so many of those. Like you can't really do that about everything. And I think you, I was a little closed minded on a few things. And I think you really need to be open-minded as to, yeah, this way might've worked. And maybe this way worked at the level I was playing at, but now I'm at a new level and a coach is telling me to do it a certain way. You got to try it. And like, to fast forward a little bit, like we talk about the pan and stuff. Like when I heard of the pan, I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Like, try it, be open-minded about it. And I love it now. So like just little stuff like that, I think is if a coach is telling you something, like they're your coach, they decide your ice time. It's ultimately like they're your boss. You got to do what they say. And whether you like it or not, you got to kind of believe in it. And if it's really that big of a deal, then go and set up a time and have a talk about it. But for the most part, I would say you got to kind of listen to your coach. So now I got to ask about the Panda because we had an article on it. And I'm like, okay, so is this you? Because we actually have had guys that tried it based on reading our article. Hell, we had a kid, I don't think Dustin Wolf, who was the subject matter of our article, loved the fact that it was a Canadian that read it on our website and then integrated it and won a, a junior a gold medal at the World Juniors the next year. But I, I, for a second there, I'm like, hold on, did he read it? But then I remembered, you were there. You, you yeah. were one of the goalies that we had video of, I think, because you, yeah. were, you were up with the yeah. Stockton, um, Stockton Heat, I think, at the time. So you were there with... So again, walk me through... Like, you're working with Wolfie, it's working for him. Um, you got a goalie coach who, again, is now in the, in, in the National Hockey League uh, with, with San Jose, introducing this to you. That process of eh not for me to hey this works for me how'd you go through it like well, just walk us through sort yeah. of getting there so i remember it was training camp and as a guy on a two-way contract in an organization that had like seven or eight goalies signed i was like i gotta make an impression here like i gotta kind of make an impression and then spearsy comes along and he's trying to teach me the panda on like day three of camp and i'm like yeah that, that sounds great I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to, because I don't want to get scored on because I tried something new. But uh, like I said, he's my coach. I'm like, you know what? Like, let me try this thing. And I went down and I just butterflied and pucks just kept hitting me. I'm like, oh my goodness, maybe this guy's onto something. It's like, maybe he knows what he's doing. He's worked with Wolfie and that turned out pretty good. So I was like, maybe I should listen to him. And then I went down and I just, I started to do it. And I was like, this is unbelievable. And I think just being open-minded and just being like, yeah, maybe I'm going to pull each other. It's not go through the motions and be like, oh, yeah, not for me. Like committing to it and trying it and trying to learn it. Because like I said, he's the coach. He knows best. And I, I did it, learned it. And now I, I probably overuse it. I use it so much. I love it. Well, that happens a lot with a lot of post-play stuff, right? Like we, we, we rep something. We like it. We rep it out to the point where maybe it can become too much of a habit in the wrong situation. Like that's sort of, we've seen it with, we, like I'm old enough to remember when it happened with VH and then right. our VH and, you know, now every other, you know, iteration of it. Um, just because we've, we've talked so much about it here at Ingle and because we had that article, what, what do you like about it and what situations do you like it specifically for? I like it specifically when, especially if it's a good shooter on the other team and he has speed and time. And there's no other threats. So like I know a, that. Like a, like a rush chance down the, down the, off the rush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy's coming off the rush, especially if he's on a strong side. 
I know that, okay, I could just hold my post here, drop down and be big and he's got nothing. And then just, it just takes away a threat. It calms me down, especially in those moments in games where you're like, okay, I can't give one up here. Like it's start of a period, start of a game, end of a game, like those big kind of moments where you're like, it's not the time to take a risk. I'm going to just go down be big. Take this away. If he wraps and throws out to someone else, I'll live to fight another day. But I think it's specifically in moments where you got guys kind of on an island, guys by themselves, or guys with speed when you have defensive support. So if you have support coming down the middle to that near post, and you got a guy coming with speed to the outside, just drop and you know you're going to take everything away. And more times than not, they'll either bury it right into you because they'll panic, or they'll try to beat you to a wraparound, which is what you want them to do because you're. The, the push is so easy to get back to that far. Yeah, and so and so obviously you have to flatten out a little bit. Otherwise, if you just square up in a butterfly in an overlap, that's where that push on. That's where you're exposed on the wrap. Right, hundred percent. So you just flatten out a little bit. The way you can kind of feel your shoulder, like in kind of the middle of your spine, kind of halfway between your spine and your shoulder blade. Just feel that against the post. A nice little lean. And just wait for him to get past half nine, and then it's a straight line push as opposed to, you know, if you're too flat or too far on the angle in the overlap, and then you got to rotate and push. Within the panda, you just flat and you just uh, put your right leg up, grab an edge, and you're right to the post. Yeah, it's a big rotation if you're squared up to a guy, you know, coming down the wing and he gets deep in the zone. Yeah, and then you run the risk of the bank off your back and all that sort of stuff. So I think flattening out is a major part of that. Well, your game really started to take off. I mean, obviously, you had success at the University of Calgary, but um, you're in the Calgary organization with Kansas City. Like I said, I saw you in the American Hockey League. Didn't get a chance to play with Stockton, but you were up with them. Is that that opportunity to turn pro? Like you're at the University of Calgary, you're working about school. You're probably focusing on other things, but also hockey. Were you still aiming for a pro career to that opportunity? How did it present itself? Again, I'm guessing there's because you're in Calgary and probably that staff got to watch you there. Yeah. So it's actually a funny story. So when I was in school, I try, I probably tried to leave every single year I was there. Because I was like, I'm going to play it for a year and then I'm going to go try to get an AHL 2A and prove myself pro. And then after my fourth year at school, I didn't have a good year. And for those that don't know, you get five years of eligibility in youth sports. So I had another year left. And I was like, okay, let me just come back for my last year and then I'm going to go. And then what ended up happening was COVID obviously happens. So the flames are getting ready to go into the bubble. But I think at the time it was Mark Schum and Riddick were both still home in Europe. So the flames need to practice goalie. So they pulled me out onto the ice with them and I uh, went and skated with them. And did that. They went, you know, that was, sorry, this is after the bubble. This is after the bubble before the late start in the season. Right. Okay. So before the uh, late start, when they started December, whenever it was that year. So I practiced with them and I uh, was fortunate enough, turned a couple heads and they're like, yeah, let's throw this kid down on the coast and see what happens. And um, unfortunately, Andrew Shortridge got hurt and that opportunity presented itself where they, Kansas City needed a guy in the course for the timing. I mean, obviously, super bad luck for Shorty, but that job opened up and I was able to go down there. And that was kind of uh, the beginning of my chance. And posted some really good numbers down there. 916 save percentage in the ECHL, a game that can be a little more like you're playing 
in Calgary at university, a game that's probably a lot more controlled than people would expect because the the experience of the players in that league, like you said, you know, out of the CHL for four years, they're older, they're more mature, they play a more controlled game. East Coast can be a little scrambly. Was that a big adjustment? Uh, it's scrambly is the wrong word because that has a negative connotation. A lot of young players, it can be it can be a game of mistakes as a goalie. It's hard to make clean reads because things tend not to go as planned as often. I actually found the adjustment a little easier. I think um, one of the things that they were big on in Canada West for university was puck possession. And like, I remember playing against U of A and they'd have some nights they'd have 18 shots and five goals. And you're like, I actually like, Play I don't good. know what I, yeah. yeah. And all 18 are just grade A chances. Same thing with Sask. And then you get down to the coast and, it, like I said, it's more scrambly. Guys get the puck on their stick and they're throwing it at the net. And so having that kind of steady action, I was like, I like this. I was like, this is fun. And um, so that was a, uh, at least my mindset was like, this is, you know, this is uh, more suited to the way I, want, I play. Like I love feeling the puck. I love, like we weren't very good in Kansas City, but I kind of relish in the fact that like, if we win or lose, like it's kind of on me. So like it was an, opportunity to go down, get lots of shots and try to steal a couple of games. Do you have to have that mindset? Is that part of being a goalie? Like can you can survive can you survive yeah. as a goalie if you don't you don't want to be the guy that it that it can, you know, the game can turn on? Yeah, I don't think so. Like I think it's just kind of something that comes with the territory, right? Like a lot of times you hear basketball players talk about like wanting to take the last shot or not wanting to take the last shot. And in basketball you can pass. And like you don't you could just fit into the shadows. There's no doing that in overtime or with a minute left as a goalie. Like you're front and center. What a lot of times at that moment, like if you win, you're going to be in the paper celebrating. And if you lose, you're going to be with your head down and the puck in the net on the front page the next day. So it's kind of you're forced into it. And uh, like you said, you either kind of sink or swim. Um, part of when we met, obviously, was uh, before a Panthers training camp. So there early, I think it was Lou, Reimer, and Tally on the ice. And then there'd be a like a pro skate like, like yeah. and and but this wasn't just a pro skate this was a pro skate that like i'd covered the league for like 17 years at that point and my eyes were popping open at the names that came <laughs> to that pro skate you talked about getting a contract opportunity and turning pro based on turning heads as a practice goalie for calgary what was your approach in those you know wide open shinny hockey but hey that's alexander ovechkin coming down the wing uh, how would you approach those opportunities when did it start for you when was the first time you got to get out there with that Florida group? I was very fortunate because growing up in Florida, there's slim pickings for goalies because you got Lou down there for a billion years and he's not going to that. Then you got no, he was He was off the ice early for those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does his drills with Tally, takes a couple warm drills and gets off. Then you got Craig Anderson down there who's also like, he'll come out towards the end of the summer, but that's about it. And then outside of the eight, like, because I don't think most of the, AHL guys were living in Florida would come down that early. So there was kind of not many options. So I got thrust into it at a young age. And how old were you when you first, first time you got out there ballpark? Yeah, probably like 18, 19, I would say. Okay. Like so. And I mean, that, um, that like, it, it reminds me of the one in Kelowna that used to have like Weber and price. And it's like a freaking all-star game out there, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, I remember the one day you were there because Ovechkin only came a handful of times, but I remember the first time he came out. And because the pros had their dressing room and then we had our dressing room just normally. 
And somebody's like, yeah, Ovechkin's out there. And I was like, like, good one. And then we get on the ice, or we go out, and we would always try to be early. Just an Ovechkin sitting by himself on the bench, like dead serious, ready to go, like 10 minutes before this game. I'm like, oh my goodness. But um, to answer your question, I always treated those like they were game seven for me. Like I really did. Like I always treated those as that, like, hey, like, this is my opportunity. Like, you never know who's watching you right now. Like, go out there, give everything you got, follow every rebound, don't take a shot off. Like, I don't care if it's a Vetchkin, he's not scoring. Like, have the, like, and that's something that also bred confidence. We talk about how I found my confidence later. That was a big factor in it. Cause I would, I remember I went on the ice once with uh, a bunch of the Winnipeg guys. I was goalie coaching at the time and I wear contacts. This is actually a bit of a funny story. I wear contacts and I, um, when we would goalie coach Rob, I was working for Rob and he would make us wear half gear when we would coach so we could demo drills and stuff. So I had my gear at the ring, but I wasn't taking any shots and my vision's not terrible, but it's not great. But I don't need my glasses to perform day-to-day tests, but I need them to play hockey. But I had my contacts in and all of a sudden, right after I just get a bunch of the Winnipeg guys get on there. So like Shifley, Ellers, uh, Wheeler and uh, Chuba, I think, all popped on the ice. Yeah, heard of them. Needed... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they needed a goalie. And then, so yeah, so I was fortunate enough. I was the old guy at the time coaching. I'm like, ah, I'm going. So I popped out there with no contacts with those guys and just flung my glove and my blocker at a few pucks. But no, I always... And then Adam Oates was the coach there. And I always treated those, though, like, even without contacts, like, I was like, I don't care. Like, I'm stopping the puck. Like, didn't matter. Like, whatever it takes. And just try to turn someone's head. And the best case scenario, I turn someone's head. And the worst case scenario, I just push myself against the best guys in the world. And my mindset was, if I could do it against these guys, I could definitely do it against the guys I'm playing against. I mean, Ovechkin's a pretty premier name. Are there any others that I'm missing? Because I, rem- I do remember... As we got off the ice, because I was there with with Roberto and with and with Talis and with Reimer, and so when they finished, I would normally be leaving to go, do, you know, talk to them about the drills and and cut video. But I just remember guys pouring out on the ice, and I stuck around a little bit because I was just again like I'm 17 years in covering the league. I yeah. my job my job is to talk to these guys on a regular basis, so there's not much that feels like wow. But I was like wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I know, like, Zadorov's always down there. Pacioretty was down there for a little bit. Um, all the Panthers, so whoever played for the Panthers, like Jason Demarish was always out there. Uh, and then, obviously, like, Ekblad and um, those kind of guys. But, yeah, a lot of the Panthers guys and a lot of former Panthers would stick around and come to those skates. I'm trying to think. Maybe too many shots to the head. I can't really. <laughs> well, too many big names. It's hard to pick one out. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you ever e-bug in Calgary? You did the practice goalie thing. Did you ever do the e-bug thing when you were with the University of Calgary? Because I know here in Vancouver, they use the UBC goalies from U-Sport to, uh, to sort of man that role as well. So my first year in university, they used us. Yeah. But I was a little man on the totem pole. So my buddy, uh, Steve Stanford, got to do it. Instead, I mean, when he did it, uh, I don't know if you know Coleman Volrath, the name. He played in Victoria. Yep, for yep. Years. yep. I know the name. So then he ended up just going after our first, we were the same age after our first year in school together. He ended up uh, quitting hockey and just doing school. And then he was the flame debug for probably the next three years after that. And then 
I just kind of lucked into the practice opportunity, honestly. That's awesome. But made the mo- again, there's lessons here about making the most. It reminds me a little bit. We had Paris O'Brien on a, uh, it was a while ago, got invited to like some random practice, same type of thing, like e-bug opportunity and ended up, it ended up with him in the KHL and representing China at the Olympics, right? Like just from a, hey, we need a, we need a target. And right. if you approach it the right way, you can open some eyes and turn some heads and opportunity can follow. So it sounds like a similar lesson for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I went to those practices and the guys were awesome. Like Dubé was out there every time and like Mark Stone, or sorry, not Mike, Mark Stone, Michael Stone. Um, and uh, he can shoot. Yeah, he can shoot. He's, uh, I've cursed his name under my breath a few times. Um <laughs> Uh, but like Rasmus Anderson and like one thing that was really cool for me is I, so I was skating with these guys and after that summer of COVID, I would, I've been skating with them ever since. And last year or two years ago, it led to an NHL training camp opportunity for me, just based on those guys going to the GM being like, Hey, like let's give this guy a camp at least. So just like, you just never know who's going to be willing to stick their neck out for you. And you never know who's watching and yeah like anytime you're on the ice like just it's well, cliche, but summer seven. skates summer skates too like like yeah. guys want it they want a goalie that's trying right like like i've you know i've been around goalies that that maybe don't right yeah. like or, or aren't trying as hard or you know because they because hey like the veteran nhl guys like you said they don't want to be there all the time but the shooters want somebody who's putting an effort in so you can you can make an impression that way yeah for sure and it makes everyone better like if I'm giving up goals I wouldn't normally give up in a game. And, you know, these guys are scoring goals that they shouldn't be scoring. It's not creating good habits for anyone. So by everyone, by them trying and then by me reciprocating that effort, it just kind of is like a rising tide lifts all ships. And it's um, something that, you know, really uh, makes everyone better. And yeah, it's, it's a, to me, it's a must in summer skates. Okay. So um, last chapter here, I mean, currently being written. How'd you end up in Sheffield last season? Walk me through that opportunity, that transition. And it just sounds like you really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've loved it. Um, so after last season, I was really hoping to get an uh, American League opportunity during my last season where I signed a two-way. Uh, I mean, Wolfie's there and Wolfie's unbelievable. So he's playing every game and short of somebody getting injured there was no opportunity for me so at the end of that at the end of the 2021 2022 season I was a little bummed that I didn't get a game and my agent at the time was wanting me to uh go back and do another year and of the same thing and my wife was kind of like I don't want to be moving around we got to make some money like let's kind of move in a different direction I was just like yeah, like, I think you're right. I think you're right. But it's hard to kind of look away from the NHL for a little bit. Understandable. And, uh, I was like, okay. Yeah, let's go. Let's go explore Europe. So told my agent I want to go to Europe. And we were looking at teams and a few things excited me and fell through. And then a few things didn't really get me going or I didn't think we're going anywhere. I thought we'd be there if I wanted them at the end of the summer. And then um, at the 11th hour, like, a I think a week before we ended up leaving Sheffield called and was like, Hey, we kind of need a one B goalie. Like we got our one A we're looking for a one B. Um, are you interested? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. 
And I knew Sheffield. I knew how it was such a high budget team. I knew I talked to former players and everyone there just had nothing but awesome things to say. So I was like, you know what? It was actually gonna be less money than what I was offered in other places. So I was like, let's just do it. I have one year of living in Europe on a high budget team. Gonna, you know, we're gonna be at the top of the table. Like, let's go for it. And um again, like and this is kind of it's unfortunate to say out loud. I feel like I've been saying it a lot. It's kind of the way hockey works. Like my goalie partner's doing a squat jump and his pinky gets caught in his shorts and he has the most unfortunate injury of all time and breaks his hand. But that leads to me playing every single game because there's no other option. And then I play awesome and run with it. And 920 during the regular season, hell of a run. Yeah. So they Thir- uh, 36 and 17, like just heating. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was awesome. Like we, we were uh, like everything just kind of just one of those years, like short of winning a championship, which is obviously a disappointment, but everything just kind of seemed to fall into place. And it was kind of like the pitcher lob went up for me and I hit it pretty far. So it's, uh, worked out real good and yeah happy to be going back excited to be going back get a contract extension you said this is the first time in a lot like first time ever you've had a contract that you i think you signed it in march first time ever i i signed uh yeah mid late march and um yeah to just be able to know where i'm going to be going and playing and living and being able to kind of prepare and uh set like specific goals and that stuff is uh it, it's real exciting. Like I, like I said, I've never had that before. Um, the closest thing is I signed my two way pretty early, but then you don't know if you're going to be the AHL or the ECHL. You don't know who else they're going to sign. So it's uh, a bit different, but this a lot, of, is, yeah. a lot more uncertainty in that situation. Oh, for sure. For sure. The coast is a, uh, if you're not an NHL dealer, coast can be a bit of a uh, grind. So, so, Sheffield and heading back like and the injury like there's also lessons here right like whether it's how you approach a practice opportunity or being ready for like you're right freak injuries happen and you never want to you never want to see it happen but they do if you're not ready to take advantage of that opportunity it means nothing 100% like 1000% like it's at the end of the day like you need to get all lucky and have an opportunity to present itself. But when once it dies, then it's on you. Like it's one hundred percent on you to to run with it and to make an opportunity, make a name for yourself. And if you don't have an opportunity, like in a practice situation, like go create an opportunity. That wasn't. It was a great, a fun thing to do. But how many practice goals do the Flames have out in a year? You know what I mean. Like go and create an opportunity, and then you got to execute when. It counts, and that's kind of, yeah. That, I think that's the moral of the story: is you never know when your opportunity is going to come, and you kind of got to always be ready when that opportunity does come. Like run like hell and never look back. Game seven mindset for practice. Exactly, and then, yeah, and then talk about building confidence. Like when, for me, anyways, like it's this is a cliche, but if you treat every game like it's the biggest game of your life, in the biggest game of your life, it's just another game. So it's like you constantly playing under that pressure it's okay it's nothing new now and it's for real for real so it's something that i found a lot of success in personally okay last one for you um how close are you watching as a guy who grew up in parkland um as much as you're not there anymore like how how close are you watching and actually i guess i should ask like i'm trying to think uh because you were in calgary i can't remember how often you like i can't remember the last time you were back there for those summer skates so i'm trying to figure whether there would have been any any overlap with Bob? No, there was no overlap with Bob. 
Bob came. So my last summer there was when they signed Bob. And then Bob didn't get down there until, until later. Yeah, because Bob would go. Bob had Europe and he worked up with the Red Bull team in Salzburg. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, yeah, I haven't skated with Bob at all. I, uh, yeah, but no, to answer your question, I am, uh, I wear this whoop that tracks my heart rate. And during, and I would have just thought, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But just to see, like, I don't know, like the way that rink is, like, Going, going up, going to games. That rink was getting 6,000 fans, 7,000 fans. They were not terrible enough that they were trying to suck and not good enough to ever make the playoffs. And it's kind of the laughing stock of the league. And to see the way that played, the whole community. Like, I listened to a podcast the other day that I used to like because they were South Florida sports, but they never talked about hockey. The entire hour and a half was about hockey. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And I'm just right on the edge of my seat with every shot now. It's awesome. I think one of my favorite parts was when they completed the sweep and the players come on the ice and they're touching the trophy was seeing Tally in the background with the Eastern Conference Championship yeah. hat and obviously getting to see Lou celebrate in the press box. So uh, yeah. I think for both of us, let's, let's we'll, we'll wish that it continues and, and continues for more celebrations for Parkland, for uh, fans of Florida, and for some of the friends we both have on those teams. So, hey, listen, Matt, this has been awesome, and I really enjoyed catching up with you. I'll make sure we'll put some put put it in the show links for everybody that's listening to this, uh, so they can go check out the Greenfield Drill with Robbie Tallis, uh, as well as him helping with us us with the demonstration in practice one day of the Panda. So, Matt, uh, thank you so much for this. Best of luck in Sheffield next year, and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. It feels like. We keep running into each other, I think, and it's always good timing, and there's always these connections. It's really much enjoyed on my end. Yeah, feelings very mutual. Uh, thanks for having me. It was a blast, and I'm uh, really looking forward to uh, staying in touch. I turned it on. I was doing some stuff around the house, and happens all the time when I get these interviews that you tend to be before we pack up the show. And I actually sat down with this one and wanted to make sure I was dialed into it. Just, just all kinds of twists and turns. I like when he said, my girlfriend, we got to go earn some money. Uh, we got to go do some stuff. And, and he was honest. He tried to go pro every year at, at university. Tried, tried to figure it out and get down, down a path. And he was, he was upfront with his successes and enjoyed those, but uh, also very honest with the, the setbacks. Yeah, I know. Just a, there's just, there's a lot there, um, you know, dealing with, and and not dealing with it properly at times, um, the idea of we all we've talked about this many times, changing teams and getting a new goalie coach and having a new voice and being asked to do different things and how you manage that um, for Matt a bit of a unique challenge because he grew up his whole life with a guy who's an NHL goalie coach helping him out, um, you know. And I forgot to talk about this; just a great excuse for a part two with Matt down the road. But you know, now he's in Sheffield playing in in the English Pro League. And he doesn't have a goalie coach. They don't have full-time goalie coaches over there. And so a lot of managing your game is about managing your own game and, and setting up your own drills. And it's actually a topic that I wish we'd gotten into because there are great lessons there as well because we don't all get that during the season. So how do we manage our own game? How do we, you know, do we ask for drills at the end of practice and get shooters to line up and, and pay attention to the details of how we need to move and things like that. And so there's some great lessons from him there that we'll, uh, we'll dig into Maybe even maybe even with some video during the year from Sheffield. So um, really enjoyed it. Lots of different lessons. You know, may, as I said, maybe not a name that 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 people are familiar with. 
um, but a story you can benefit from hearing. And uh, I really appreciate him taking the time to share it. How about the image of Robbie Tallis? Ding, in ding, his ding, track ding. Suit, in his tracksuit on his knees making stick saves. Yes. What a great story. I wish I could have been there for that. Yep. Absolutely. And then I thought I didn't mention it, but as he talked about now that when he's coaching or when he was coaching for Rob, they all had to sort of have half gear on and have pads on. And I wanted to say, why? You you weren't confident demonstrating stick saves without a pad behind it? <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, the idea that somebody would do that was like, what? And that image yes. in my in my head, uh, no chance. Imagine, no if, you, imagine if you miss an OHL slap shot, the guy just gets it a little off the ice and it's flush off the shin. You'd be you'd be on crutches. Got a great photo of uh, local Vancouver coach Angelo Maggio, who played a little pro over in Italy, at a camp doing exactly the same thing, except he wanted to make a glove save. So he borrowed two gloves and a stick from one of the guys in his tracksuit and had one of the shooters start going for the glove. And he pulled out a 1970s toe up, heel down glove save. Just beautiful. Well, see, but great moment. But that, but you can do it 1970 style because the reality is the gear sucked back then, so everybody was moving their entire body out of the way to make a glove. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. (laughs) That's that's primarily what's changed in the game. Sure is. Hey, lots going on over at the site these days. eh, Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because I'm an idiot. Um, but we talked a lot about Bob and Mm. about his run to the cup final and the hall of fame and all those things. A lot of talk about Bob Stick. Henrik Lundqvist did a great job with the unique paddle grip. We had an article on our old site about that, so we rehashed that with quotes from Bob explaining why he has his stick paddle done that way. CCM offers it as an option for pros. Um, and guess what? He's not the only one that grips it like that, that has that sloped shoulder. We've seen it. You know, I was but, at a meeting. But that's the point what you just said there, Woody, is how he grips it. Like Everybody's gotten excited about what it looks like, but don't forget how he's holding it. Yeah, and, the, and we've got images up there that date back to his Columbus days where He's sort of turned to us so you can see the back of the hand that shows just how he's choking down on that. Um, other guys have imitated it. Uh, Ilya Sorokin uses a Sorokin, sloped yeah. shoulder paddle in that grip. And we have got quote, a picture of him doing that. Yeah, too. And we got yeah. quotes from Semyon Varlamov, who also does it, where he's got that sort of choke down. And he really likes, again, it shortens the stick, which is a trend we've seen uh, throughout hockey. Like, like, like a several stick sized more to the butterfly than being on the ice when we stand up, per se. And there's a lot of benefit. Like at the end of the day, it's not just the stick and the stick grip, like the way Bob prioritizes. That's the thing. The glove doesn't have to worry about a stick. The blocker does. You're sort of taking care of two things. You're taking care of your coverage with your blocker and your coverage with your stick. And when and how you prioritize each thing affects how you play. And Bob, you know, on a sliding scale of stick to blocker, prioritizes the coverage and the squareness of his blocker over his stick at times. And we've seen it on two on ones. They used to practice this in Columbus. We've got video of it where if it's a big move to the blocker side and he's extended, he will drop that stick as he's going across. To he did it the free, other night against Carolina. Yeah, to free mm-hmm. up the blocker so it's unencumbered to square up and make a save. It doesn't have the weight of the stick. There's no chance the stick hits the post as he goes, you know, like the it just frees up the blocker to make a blocker save. Now, on two-on-ones, I've seen them practice not just dropping it, but where they drop it to make sure the stick lies in the middle of the ice as they come across, just in case that guy on their blocker side catches it and tries to pass back the other way, there's a chance it'll hit the stick. So there's, as always, 
with with goalies that that think the game at a super high level and and Ian Clark was the goalie coach there. Bob dropped the stick before Ian, but I'm not sure that purposely placing it was was something he did mm. before Ian. Roger way, Nielsen. It, Roger those Nielsen. kind of yes. details. Yeah, those are the kind of things that uh Great I story. I love. So it's awesome. What's the Roger Nielsen touch? My under I I don't know the goaltender of the game. I can't remember that part, but the story is that he pulled a goaltender at the end of a game to try and get that tying goal, but instructed him to leave his stick behind along the goal line to prevent any empty net goals. Now that's the story I remember. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think there's three or four rules in the game of hockey attributed to Roger Nielsen's genius. Just so bright. And Bobrovsky with that same uh, idea of just taking opportunities and using them to your advantage and if you're going to slide across why not drop that stick and in a strategic place now a lot of people just need that stick for comfort too and would would never be uh in 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 a place where they could do that and and feel good about themselves well you don't want to be doing it all willy-nilly dropping it all the time and not have your stick but it's it's purposeful it's in certain situations like we saw the other Mm -hmm. day on aho where he got caught reaching with a little bit of an over-aggressive poke check on the glove side with the stick. And in order to get across fastest, what am I going to do? How, can I get my blocker across faster with a stick in my hand or with a stick not in my hand? So he drops it, gets across, and makes, you know, again, a potentially momentum and game-saving chain uh, save. Is it speed that, or is it there's some flexibility and range in, in that as well, right? Uh, I've heard him and Corpusella both talk about it in both terms. I know oh. Corpusella talked about, hey, like it... And this this has changed because back when they first started doing it, they had foam core sticks. They weren't as light as they are now, but there was an element of, hey, like not carrying that blocker in my hand as I come across makes my that hand that much lighter. That's the physical part of it. Uh, between the ears, uh, we got some good stuff uh, happening right now, Hutch, with Pete Fry. Yeah, no kidding. In terms of taking advantage of opportunities, Darren, we've got a great opportunity coming up in Vancouver and online. There's a one-day seminar with pete fry the goalie mindset guy and uh, that's coming up on the 24th of june and if you are in the vancouver area or we've had people come from quite a distance to spend the day working with pete and a whole bunch of high level goaltenders are going to be there i think there's uh one pro dylan ferguson is going to be coming we've got about four well actually roman bazran has played some pro games this year as well we've got uh three or four different western hockey league goaltenders are going to be there But then you're welcome, whether you're a young up-and-comer, whether you're a beer leaguer, parents enjoy the work with Pete. So you can come and learn how to make mindset, uh, take advantage of your mindset, helping you become a better goaltender, as so many people that Pete has worked with have done over the years. It's a a fascinating, hands-on, get yourself busy. We're not just listening to Pete talk. He's got exercises every 20 or 30 minutes where you're on your feet doing things. And then this year... We're going to take it onto the ice at the end of the day as well, guys. So it's a fantastic uh, day. Again, I said in Vancouver, but you can also join us online. And if you are an InGoal Premium member, there's a $25 discount on the seminar as well. So if you're a member, head over to InGoalMag.com, take advantage of it. If you want to spend the day with Pete, you might as well join InGoal because half of your membership fee is going to go towards this seminar already. Uh, just a great opportunity and really excited that. We've got a we've got a a lot of cool stuff coming up here, guys, in the next little bit, right? It's going to be Tendy Fest over in Vancouver, and then just a week later, it's going to be uh, some time with Pete Fry as well. So lots of great stuff happening, guys. I love Pete Fry. 
gets right so into fun. your mind and, and makes you rethink some things or uh, tweaks how you handle things. And, and it can help you in all kinds of different situations, which is which is fascinating. And, and I love the fact that uh, the ongoing challenge with Woody continues. Pete yeah, versus no, Woody. Pete- yeah, Pete gets into my mind, and that's worse than the time the bear surprised him in the woods. Yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> scary up there right now. It's a bit of a jumbled mess, but he's straight in feet. You know what? You, Hutch isn't kidding. You guys aren't kidding. It's not just about performance on the ice. Pete has helped me with a few things off the ice as well. So uh, lots of benefits there. Uh, before we go, uh, what's uh, happening over on the website? Uh, well, we had that. We talked about the Bob article. We got yep. uh, new pro, pro reads up. Um, we have Yara Halak this week. We had a great one with Thatcher Demko the week before. Um, really, he was right really, into it. Yeah, he does. Like, I, I feel He's like really good. Yeah, like I feel like I want to just run him out there every week because he doesn't just explain the read. He gets into the technical details of how he executes the save and why he prioritized certain coverage. Um, you know, right down to you know alignment and reverse VH and. I just, yeah, he's one of our, he's quickly one of our favorites. So when we're trying to limit it, once a month, you get a Thatcher Demko one. Reminder, folks, ingoalmag.com. Uh, if you're wondering what the hell we're talking about, we sit down and do a video session every week with an NHL goaltender reviewing saves and their reads so that you can sort of see how they think through the game and see if there are tips that can apply to you uh, no matter what level you're playing at. And so we got a new one up there with him. We got a new one up there with Yaroslav Halak, another guy um who's approaching 300 wins in the national hockey league and has a ton of great knowledge to share uh we've got a drill artur silovs hutch mentioned latvia gonna play for a medal in the bronze medal game artur silovs has been a huge part of the story we've got a uh a drill up a pro drill all about lateral speed down in tight it's a two-part drill um with him and spencer martin and marco terranius the goaltending development coach of the vancouver canucks that's online at ingoalmag.com. It's a great drill. We've already had other coaches send us video of them doing the drill on the ice this summer and what they like about it. So you can check that out as well as we got tons of drills with Archer Silov. So you're watching these guys on the big stage. Chances are we've got articles featuring them at ingoalmag.com, not just featuring them in traditional format, but actually them on the ice and then sharing instruction on how they do things and why that'll help you become a better goaltender too. So check it all out at ingoalmag.com. And we love that interaction, don't we, Hutch? Uh, all kinds of uh, notes and pictures and reviews and assessments uh, on on different things that uh, that we talk about. Uh, keep that coming because it's uh, it's an awesome and it spurns conversation between us. For sure. And, you know, one of the first things when somebody sends me a note, whether it's a, a question based on the podcast or something going on on the website, I in, invariably end up in a bit of a back and forth with them. And it usually starts with, where do you live? What level do you play? Because we want to know these things. We're just hanging out, talking goaltending with fellow goaltenders, even if it's just via email. So you can send a note. We change the address. It's uh, now info at ingoalmag.com. So not just podcast specific stuff. If you uh, want to ask a question, you want to leave us a comment on what you think of the show or the website, or you just want to talk goaltending, um, send us a note, info at ingoalmag.com. All three of us will see it and it would be great. Awesome stuff. Uh, thanks to Matt. Thanks to Cam and thanks to you for listening uh, this week. And uh, we can't wait to be better next week. Uh, there's a lot of dings today, uh, both car dings and uh, Robbie Tallis dings. So we'll talk to you next week on Ingold Radio the podcast. 